What is green? Apart from a color, obviously. It's the most important word in the world because it's at the heart of the battle to finance climate action. We need to understand what's really good for the environment and what's really going to slow climate change so that we can find the money to pay for it. If it's truly green, then it's going to help save humanity. And you'll find out what it is here with our Dictionary of Green Finance. I'm Matt, and this is Climate Solutions from the European Investment Bank. When you open a dictionary, you expect to find a list of terms explained in alphabetical order. That's not what you'll find here. A Dictionary of Finance started off as a podcast, the aim of which was to help you understand finance and economics, you being whoever wanted to understand these topics without having to read a complicated textbook. Finance and economics are often seen as so difficult to comprehend that people don't even try. This is why we wanted to explain them with examples from real life as explained by real people, people who actually do these things as part of their daily professional lives. These people are experts who work at the European Investment Bank, the world's largest and greenest multilateral lender, but they're not ordinary bankers, if that's how you're imagining them. They're economists, engineers and scientists who work every day to improve people's lives and address our environmental and climate change challenges. And since the European Investment Bank is the EU Climate Bank, it's perfectly placed to explain green finance. This is one of those concepts often thrown around but not fully understood. What is the difference between sustainable finance and green finance? What is climate finance? There are so many terms being used to describe this field right now, and yet there's not that much understanding of what they stand for. So that's why we're doing this podcast. Whatever happened to the ozone hole? A story of how we saved the planet and how we need to do it again. Glossary, green finance, Montreal protocol, ozone depletion, greenhouse effect, greenhouse gases, Kyoto Protocol, Conference of the Parties, COP or COP, Paris Agreement, European Green Deal, Climate Neutrality, Carbon Offsetting, Climate Change, Carbon Trading, Carbon Pricing. Have you ever heard of the ozone hole? If you were born after the 1990s, the chances are you might not have, but just before the turn of the century, it was on everybody's lips. The biggest environmental disaster humanity had encountered up to that point. In 1973, two scientists at the University of California, Mario Molina and Sherwood Rowland, discovered that chlorofluorocarbons, apparently harmless gases used in refrigerants, aerosol sprays, and the making of plastic foams, were destroying the Earth's ozone layer. Their discovery frightened people across the globe. There was immediate pressure on governments to introduce laws to eliminate these compounds. But why? Because the ozone layer functions as the Earth's natural sunscreen, protecting humans, animals and plants from harmful radiation. Once a hole in the ozone layer above Antarctica was discovered in 1985, the world decided to act. World leaders gathered in Montreal, resolute, to try to protect the ozone layer as swiftly as possible. They agreed to begin phasing out the production of numerous substances that were responsible for ozone depletion, and guess what? The Montreal Protocol has since then been hailed as the most successful international environmental agreement. 
A 2014 report by the United Nations Environment Programme estimated that up to 2 million cases of skin cancer will have been prevented each year by 2030 thanks to the successful implementation of the protocol. The world solved the problem. Well, sort of. In 2019, NASA announced the ozone hole was at its smallest since it was first discovered, but since it's calculated that a chlorofluorocarbon molecule can stay in the upper atmosphere up to a century, scientists expect the ozone hole to reach pre-1980 levels by around 2075. It still proves that humanity can work together to solve an imminent environmental issue, but we need to make it a priority, though. Unfortunately, the same swift reaction did not follow the discovery of the link between global warming and human activity, specifically the continued burning of fossil fuels. Global warming didn't immediately galvanize international reaction as ozone depletion had done. It's still very much of a problem. Actually, it's humanity's most immediate threat. But why have we been so slow to act? especially considering that scientists first argued that human emissions of greenhouse gases could change the climate in the 19th century. You've heard the term before, but maybe you don't know the greenhouse effect is not all bad. It's essential for life on Earth, actually. A simple explanation of it is that some gases in Earth's atmosphere absorb the sun's heat, which makes the planet warmer and, as a result, habitable. These gases, such as water vapor, carbon dioxide, methane and ozone, are called greenhouse gases. The more greenhouse gases there are, the more energy is kept within Earth's atmosphere, and therein lies the problem. Human activities are changing the Earth's natural greenhouse effect. Burning fossil fuels, certain agricultural practices and industrial processes, and deforestation increase the level of greenhouse gases in our atmosphere, which in turn causes global warming. Scientists started warning us of the potential danger all the way back in the 1960s. We didn't do much. By the end of the century, however, a scientific consensus formed that global warming was occurring and that human-made carbon dioxide emissions have predominantly caused it. What followed was the Kyoto Protocol. It was adopted in 1997 and it put the obligation to reduce current emissions on developed countries on the basis that they are historically more responsible for the levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Because of this, it wasn't ratified by the US, which meant that even though 36 developed countries reduced their emissions in the period set by the protocol, global emissions increased by 32% from 1990 to 2010. To meet their obligations under the protocol, countries and companies even started carbon trading. Carbon trading allows countries and companies to buy the right to emit more carbon from countries that emit less in order to meet their requirements. Kyoto didn't succeed in its goals, which led a contributor for The Guardian to describe it as a failure but unquestionably an important first step in global climate diplomacy. The second, more ambitious step came in the form of the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement. L'Accord de Paris was agreed during the United Nations Climate Change Conference, the 21st yearly session of the Conference of the Parties, often called the COP. The parties in question are countries that have ratified the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which was adopted in 1992. The first conference was held in 1995 in Berlin. 
The long-term goal of the Paris Agreement is to avoid the threats posed by climate change by limiting global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, got that? And to pursue efforts to limit it to 1.5 degrees Celsius. It also aims to strengthen countries' ability to deal with the impacts of climate change and support them in their efforts. This is the first ever universal legally binding global climate change agreement. 188 states and the European Union, which altogether they cause more than 87% of global greenhouse gas emissions, have ratified or acceded to the agreement, including China, the United States and India, three of the four largest greenhouse gas emitters. The European Union's nationally determined contribution under the Paris Agreement is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by at least 40% by 2030 compared to 1990. But in 2019, the EU decided to set out an even more ambitious goal. The European Commission presented the European Green Deal, a growth strategy aiming to make Europe the first climate-neutral continent by 2050. What is climate neutrality? Activities are climate neutral if they do not create greenhouse gases. Climate neutrality can also be achieved if emissions are reduced to a minimum and all remaining emissions are offset with greenhouse gas sequestration measures, such as planting trees or burying the gases underground using carbon capture and storage technologies. How will the EU get there, though? The answer is green finance. As part of the Green Deal, the Commission presented the European Green Deal Investment Plan, which aims to mobilize at least 1 trillion euros of sustainable investments over the next decade. It will enable a framework to facilitate public and private investments needed for the transition to a climate-neutral, green, competitive and inclusive economy. Molina and Rowland's research back in the 1970s started with one simple question. What is the consequence of our society releasing something to the environment that wasn't there before? Dealing with these consequences is what green finance is all about. Don't forget to subscribe to Climate Solutions so you don't miss any episodes. The next episode is a story of how green became the new black and how quarters became centuries. This is Climate Solutions from the European Investment Bank. <laughs>